You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. Good morning. All right. Uh, Yeah, last year when we did the 21 days, it started at 6 a.m., so you get to sleep in this year. Show up at 6.30. I like that. We should fill this place. My name's Matt. I'm one of our pastors here. If I haven't met you, uh, good morning. Glad you're here. Scott, how's it going? (laughs) My dog. Um, Well, hey, I I just want to start off by congratulating you guys, okay? Um, You finished the book of John. At least you thought you finished the book of John. Um, On our preaching schedule, it's just the spreadsheet, right? And it's all the different preachers are listed in text and whatnot. And I'm looking at it a couple weeks ago, and it says, Matt, I'm like, all right, let's go. And I look over at the text, and it says, conclusion of John. There's no text, because Gary finished it last week. So today, we're going to do a recap. We're going to go back, and we're going to walk through the whole book of John. We're going to highlight some things, and if you haven't been with us, great. You get John in a nutshell. Um, but I'm excited about it. And then next weekend, we're going to start our Advent series. So um, on, the, on, the back, on the back table, uh, just so you know, yes, there's, my, there's a blank note sheet, okay? Um, but there's also a, an amazing outline that Brashears did years ago when he taught this that's super comprehensive. We're gonna, I'm going to focus on some a little different things, but best of both worlds, man. So you can have those. If you didn't get one of those on your way out, you can just grab one. It's a, it's a great uh, overview, detailed of the book of John. So I'm going to pray, and then we're just going to dive in here. So let's pray together. Father, we, uh, man, we love you. I ask for your help today as we, we go back and uh, trace the steps that we've walked this past. It's been over a year, and um, but I personally, I love the book of John, Lord. I got saved in the book of John. You talked to me. You, you met me there. And I have never been the same. And so I ask today that as we get rolling here and looking, remembering that you would uh, just increase our belief today, Lord, for those of us who have trusted you and for those maybe who never have, that they would see you as the treasure you are, as the light of the world, and that they would come out of the darkness and into the light. So would you, would you give us eyes to see today, ears to hear your beautiful gospel again in Jesus' name. Amen. Sean, I'd be proud. I'm already tearing up. All right. Uh, he's not here today. He's with his kids at a different church. But um. So last summer, as some of you know, um, Stephen, myself, Bernadette, we got to take a team of uh, a, a, mission, a short-term mission team over to Riga in Latvia. Okay, and uh, it was an amazing time, and we got to see all kinds of really beautiful uh, churches and museums, and you know, different things, uh, art. It was, it, was, it was an amazing time. This is after we finished. I mean, we actually did a mission trip, so it wasn't just a tourist. So you guys are like, whoa, we paid a lot of money for that. Um, <laughs> our, our, the last day or so, we got to go around and check out the country, and it was amazing. And there's a couple ways that, that you can do that. You, you can either um, go really quickly to a bunch of sites and check all that, that out, or you can take your time and specifically choose a few different uh, museums or whatever or, or pieces of art to really focus on. 
And I think that's a good illustration um, when we come to the first question that we ask in the, in the book of John, and that is, why was John, why is John his gospel different in character than what we call the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke? John's gospel contains certain traits that these other gospels don't have. And it, it's not that its content conflicts at all. It's just that J John is, is different. He's focusing on different things. He has a distinctive flavor to his writing. John, for instance, there, there's some 35 miracles in the, in, in, the, in the gospels, in the synoptics, but John chooses only eight, seven of which he calls signs. He doesn't, he doesn't record any of the parables of Jesus that the other Gospels have. Rather, he, he focuses on, on certain discourses and things that Jesus is teaching. John takes a unique perspective, like, like the visitor at an art gallery that just takes a, looks at a couple things and really focuses in. That's kind of how, how I consider John's Gospel. His Gospel has been called uh, the reflective Gospel. It's like he leads us by the hand and takes us into the deep things of God. It's an amazing book. I think it was Jay that, that quoted that famous quote that this gospel has said that, that a child could, could uh, paddle in, but an elephant could also swim in, right? So, which is why we say the gospel of John is a great place to start off if you're new to Christ, because um, you, you can begin to see who this Jesus is, but if you've walked with him for 30, 40, 50 years, you can still mind the depths of what he has to offer in his gospel. So who was John? Let's remember who John was. He was, he was an eyewitness to the, these infinitely important things that happened in first century Palestine among Jesus Christ. And five times in the gospel, we read this, the disciple whom Jesus loved, and it's weird. You're like, what? And you love everybody? Well, John says, he loved me. And so as we read this gospel, remember last week at the end, Peter's turn, he turns around, he's walked with Jesus, and, and he saw the disciple whom Jesus loved. And then a few verses later, it says, this is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things down. So John, the son of Zebedee, we believe he is the gospel writer. He is the one that, that recorded the, the life of Jesus Christ, and we believe that's divinely inspired. And the reason I say divinely inspired is because remember what John or Jesus told the disciples in John 14. The helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send, he's going to teach you all things and bring to your remembrance everything that I have said to you. And then in 16, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. So in other words, Jesus chose his apostles he, he saved them. He taught them. He, he led them. He gave them through the Holy Spirit divine guidance. And in writing the scriptures down, this became the foundation of the church. We, you can read that in Ephesians 2, 20. The apostles are the foundations, their writings. The inspired word of God. And John wrote about late 80s, uh, early 90s of that first century. And so why did he write it? I, I mean, he, he certainly knew of the other Gospels that had been written, but why did he write his? And, and I believe there's a lot of reasons, but he summed it up, remember, in chapter 20. These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So a twofold purpose here. Number one, that his readers might be brought into a relationship with Jesus Christ and believe that he truly is the son of God, and that this, in this relationship, they, they might discover what life truly is. 
given by the Father through the Son and empowered through the Holy Spirit. And John's not preoccupied only with the life of Jesus. He's, he's, he's also um, focused on the life that Jesus offers us, those who believe in him. That's why he wrote. He's not writing a biography. He didn't, he didn't contain anything of Jesus' birth, any of his childhood. John's purpose of writing is testimony. He is testifying to the fact that Jesus is the Son of God and you must believe this is why he uses terms like witness and testify some 35 times in his gospel. Testify, testify. And remember, remember um, in that upper room discourse, Jesus said the Holy Spirit, he's going to come and he's going to testify. But you must also testify. And so this whole thing is just one big testimony. And then, and then 98 times we, we, we read the word believe in this gospel or, or something, some, some root of that word. So it's not just, I'm not just telling you this for, for your own pleasure, but, but I'm telling you because you need to believe this if you want to experience life. And so John captures who Jesus is and he wants us to know. He places key emphasis on certain themes throughout his gospel in order to underline where the human heart, where its need really lies. From the very onset of this gospel, we saw themes of, of world, sin, darkness, death, blindness, flesh, demonstrating that left to ourselves, um, we, 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 there's no hope, and we're in a perilous situation apart from Christ. And then we saw themes of light and, and life and spirit and love, and this is the good news, my friends. Because Jesus didn't show up to tell us how to be better people or to save ourselves. He came to bring life. He came to save and rescue those who couldn't save themselves. So our friends at the Bible Project, they help us kind of lay out the entire book of John. He starts off chapter 1. Right there's that great poem and then a short story kind of talking about what's going on in the world. And then 2 through 10, Jesus starts performing these signs. And it creates controversy. Some believe, many don't. And, and ultimately, when he raises Lazarus, um, the, the ultimate sign, right, the, the Jewish religious leaders, they want him dead. They want to kill him. And then it, the, the hinge is in 13, so 13 to 17, the, the, those, those five chapters, the, those focus on Jesus' last night with his disciples, and he gets, gets them together in the upper room. You remember this. We'll talk about this a little bit. And then finally his death, burial, and resurrection, and then the epilogue that we talked about last week. The first 12 chapters cover three years of Jesus' life. The last chapters, only a few days. John doesn't begin in a manger. John takes us back and he starts his gospel in eternity. Remember what he said. This is unbelievable. He says, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. This word is Jesus Christ. And what John is doing by, by opening up his gospel is he, he's telling us ultimate things about Jesus right from the beginning. I mean, it took John and the boys a long time to figure out who Jesus was. You remember walking through the gospel, man, those guys kept fumbling the ball. They, they, they just couldn't figure it out. Who is this? Who is this? That even, even the winds and the waves obey him. He, he heals the sick with a word. He even raises the dead. 
And, and even when they, were, when they ran to that empty tomb at the end of his life, you know, John got it first, but Peter was still kind of disillusioned. It, it was slow in coming. And I don't think John wants us to go through that, man. He wants us to see right from the beginning of his gospel who he's talking about. I mean, in the first chapter alone, check this out. We, 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 we learn this about Jesus. He's fully human. He's the son of man. He's from Nazareth. He's the messianic king, the king of Israel. He's the teacher, rabbi of Israel. He's the son of God who will die for the sins of the world because he's the lamb of God. All those things in chapter one. John doesn't want us to struggle like, like they did. So John begins his gospel, and he has all the revelation, all the truth, all the witness, all the glory, all the lights, and the words that came out of Jesus in his living and teaching and his dying and rising. It's all right there in chapter 1. And he says that Jesus is the word of God, the final word the ultimate, decisive, absolutely true word of God. Remember with the author of Hebrews, how he begins his, his, his book. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And so John wants us to have in our minds, fixed and clear from the beginning of his gospel, the eternal majesty, the deity, the, the, the creator rights of Jesus Christ. He wants us to read this gospel blown away and stunned. One of the most stunning passages in this gospel is right here. That word, that eternal word, who's, who's God, he became flesh. And he made his dwelling among us. And, and John said, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only the, the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. And as he goes on in chapter 1, he goes on revealing the, the fact that Jesus has come on this redemptive mission to give light to those who are living in darkness and death. And we saw right away that despite this, this noble, life-giving mission, many reject him. Why? Well, John says they love darkness rather than light. But to those who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God and begin and inherit eternal life beginning right then and carrying on into eternity. So John, through his gospel, he shows us again and again how the people saw and heard him performing these amazing, miraculous signs, speaking profound truths, and then after making these, these, these proclamations, people just wouldn't get it. Right? He, he would talk about being the, the living water and people would just see a well. Or he'd, he'd talk about being the, the, the bread of life and they just wanted an, another sandwich. They just wanted more food. They, they didn't understand what he was saying. And so there's this, there's this motif of misunderstanding that runs all through the gospel of John. And John writes and records that for us. And I think it's really helpful because it shows us that Jesus is the wisdom of God set apart from what this world calls wisdom. And so later in scripture, we'll read things like the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of man. And then the signs, remember the signs, the, the, these miraculous signs, they're, they're not in, in, in and of themselves, but they're pointing to Jesus being the son of God. And they're, they're a bit different than the ones we see in the synoptic gospels, because in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the signs are pointing to the kingdom. In John, the signs are pointing, revealing the king. So John's very clear about that. 
And his motive, again, that you may believe. So what does it mean to believe in John? I mean, he says it a lot, right? Almost a hundred times. He's like, believe. It's a little tricky to put into words, but let's, let's give it a shot here. I, I think it probably includes one of several things. One, an acknowledgement of the facts as they are. Okay, that's, we have to have that if we're going to believe, right? Before I can believe, before I can respond in belief, I've got to have some facts, some facts that are accurate, that are reliable, facts that you can count on. And so then, then I acknowledge those facts as they appear, and then belief would mean then I personally commit myself to those facts, and I rely on those facts to come true in my own life. We use various synonyms in the church, right? I um, came to Christ. I've accepted Jesus as my Savior. Uh, we've received Christ. What we're saying is, is what the Bible's saying about Jesus is true. And, 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 and we're, we're, we're believing that. We see him as more than a man, more than a servant. We see him as the Son of God who died that we might live because he lives for us. And we commit ourselves to him to his way of life, and we follow him. We put our hope in Jesus Christ, our trust. That's what John means by believe. And believing in the book of John, it's not a one-time thing. It's an ongoing, ever-growing experience. The, the more that God reveals to us, we continue to believe and we trust. And as he leads us to other places, we trust that he's going to provide for us in those places. John has written that we might have the facts that Jesus is God. He's the Son of God. And by seeing those facts, we might respond positively to them. And this is in keeping with Jesus' teachings, right? I mean, you'll never, in all the Gospels, you'll never see Jesus once say, hey, what are they saying about my miracles? You, you never hear him say, hey, hey, wh wh what are they saying about my teaching? No, he always says, who are they saying that I am? His identity was first and foremost on his mind. He wanted people to know, right? John wants people to know who this Jesus is. Who do they say that I am? And so let's go back. Let's, let, let's look at a few people throughout this gospel that saw him as the son of God. I mean, it started right from the beginning. John the Baptist, remember, John was told that there's going to be, the spirit of God's going to descend on this one in the form of a dove, and, and that's the one that's the one that's the Son of God. That's going to be the telltale sign. And so John sees this happen, and he says, I have seen and testified that this is God's chosen one. Some of your translation uh, translate it the Son of God. But, but it's, it's, uh, he, he's referring back to Isaiah when, when the Son of God was going to come, and he was going to be filled full of the Spirit. And John says, there he is, right from the onset of his book. And a few verses later in that book, remember Nathaniel, he's kind of an interesting character. Right, Philip's, Philip, Jesus calls Philip, and he's like, okay, yeah, I'm going to follow you. But he goes and tells Nathaniel, he says, look, we found him. Remember Deuteronomy talked about there's one greater than Moses that's coming. He's here. He's from Nazareth. Nathaniel, come on. Can anything good come from Nazareth? And what does Philip say? And I love it. He says, well, well come and see. And this is a great response because oftentimes when, when, when people say things about Jesus and you can't answer, you know, we just don't have the answers or, I mean, you just need to get him in touch with Jesus. Get him in the book of John. Well, you know, come and take a look. 
I know people that spend their entire lives arguing, defending the Bible. Sometimes you just got to preach it, man. Just lay it out there as it is. Show them Jesus. This is who he is. This is what he said. This is what he did. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Well, why don't you come and check him out for yourself? And so he does. And look what Jesus says. Here truly is an Israelite in whom there's no deceit. Nathaniel was legit. I mean, he was, I mean, look, Jesus gives him props. He's like, yeah, no, this guy's the real deal here. And Nathaniel's like, well, how, how, how do you know me? Well, I saw you while you were sitting under the fig tree before Philip called you. Rabbi, you are the son of God. You're the king of Israel. What convinced him? A little encounter with the Savior who told him a little bit about himself. Some of you here don't know Jesus Christ. Some of you think that he has nothing to do with you and you have nothing to do with him. But let me tell you something. He's got your steps marked. He knows everything about you. Sitting in the Prius at the Starbucks today. Remember that? I mean, well, whatever it is. He knows everything about you. But, but here's the clincher. And he's come to reveal that he's the son of God. And he wants to save you. And he wants to give you eternal life. He wants to remove the blindness that you have that you may not even realize you have, and he wants you to see. And so John's gospel says, come and see. Take a look. Later in chapter 6, remember that long chapter of John? Um, Jesus has, a, has some really, really tough words that's kind of thinned out the ranks when he's talking about discipleship and what it's going to mean, and there's going to be a cost, and, and people are like, yeesh, I don't know about that. We like the bread, but... Uh, I don't know about this following stuff. And then Jesus, he comes to Peter and he says, listen, do you, or to the disciples, hey, do you want to leave me too? And Peter pipes up and says, Lord, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. There it is again. Some of you might be questioning still, who is this Jesus? These guys were becoming to know who he was because they were with him. They saw him. They, they begin to settle the case. You're, you're God. Chapter 10, it appears again. Jesus, is, he, Jesus claims that he's hassling between the Pharisees. Or, we know this motif, man. The closer he gets to the cross, the more intense the struggle is. We get a little criticism. We feel like, gosh, if he's just throwing the towel. Not Jesus, man. He just keeps going. He sets his face toward the cross. And in turning and arguing with them, he says, hey, what about the one whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent into the world. Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy because I said that I'm the son of God? They, they, they can't answer him. I love it. He just silences him. And then later, in, in, across the page in chapter 11, right? The, the story of Lazarus. He's dead. Don't panic, Jesus says. This is going to reveal my glory. And, and he shows up into this panic-stricken situation. There's Martha. Remember Martha? Remember what she was doing? She was just rebuking him. I can't believe you weren't here. You love Lazarus. I can't believe you were here. He wouldn't have been dead. And Jesus says, Martha, do you believe that I am the resurrection and the life? Do you believe that? And look at what she says. Oops, go back. I missed it. Boom. Oh, I'm going the wrong way. Hold on, man. One more. There we go. I believe that you are the Messiah. I believe that you are the Son of God who has come into the world. And a couple weeks later, Sean showed us Thomas. Remember Thomas? He's another one. 
Jesus shows up the disciples. Thomas isn't there. Week later, Thomas is there. I'm not gonna, I, I gotta see it. Hey, how, how can I believe this? I saw him, they, they killed him. And Jesus says, come here, Thomas. You got these scars, put your hand in here. And Thomas, my Lord, my God. And in John 20, 31, again, John leaves no doubt. Jesus is the son of God, the Messiah. This is the central message of, of John's gospel. It's not up for debate. It's, he's clear why he wrote it. He wrote it to help you believe. Are you having trouble believing? Read the book of John. Are you still having trouble? Read it again. And, and, and look, look, look at the signs. Remember the signs in, in his gospel? John records those to help us believe. He performed these signs that made claims about his, his divinity, who he was. And then, then there would be a controversy and, and people would be, they would have to choose, believe or not believe. Receive and, and receive life or reject and remain in your darkness. Chapter 2, remember that chapter. He turns the water into wine. You remember the scene, man? Great wedding, party foul. They ran out of wine. You never do that at a wedding. Okay, that's just a major party fell. And what does Jesus do? He tells his guys, hey, grab those jars, fill them up. 120 gallons of water, right? In these old ritual, um, they, they were these cisterns that were made for ritual cleansing, cleaning the outside, did nothing for the inside. And Jesus makes the most amazing, I mean, just think about like, the most amazing aerated Opus One or Lafitte Rothschild. Just think of the best red wine you've ever, right? That's like swill compared to what Jesus made. He made the best wine. And remember what the head waiter says? He said, I can't believe you guys saved the best wine for the end, for the, for the last. Nobody does this. And John says, this is a sign. This is a sign that, that, that points to the fact that, that Jesus is the Messiah. Because in Isaiah... And Isaiah, Isaiah said that the Messianic kingdom would be this huge party with lots of great wine. Abundance. And that's what Jesus brings. And he's the king, and with the word, he changes it into, into, into wine. And it's at that moment that his disciples are said in John, they believed. And then in chapter 4, remember this, he heals the official son. He comes up to my son's dying, and Jesus like, this is amazing faith. And with the word from a distance... Jesus heals this boy, and the man believes, and then the whole family believes. And then, then remember chapter 5, he heals that guy, the paralytic on a Sabbath, and this is a, kind of pathetic because it's pathetic in the fact that these people should have been rejoicing. The, 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 the religious leaders should have been like, Messiah's here, but they were angry because he did it on the Sabbath. Rules, laws, choking out the gospel, legalism. And Jesus says, listen, my father's working. I'm working. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I have all authority here. And he proclaims that he's, he's equal with the father. And of course, they lose their minds. And this is where they begin to plot to kill him. Chapter 6, he feeds the 5,000. You remember that? He stands up and says, listen, I am the bread of life. And, and, and he, that sign is pointing to the fact that Jesus is the only one that can satisfy our deepest hunger that we have in this world, and he's able to sustain the spiritual life that he creates in every one of us. Later in that chapter, he walks on water, pointing to the fact that he has authority over nature, and he can overcome any obstacle to get to his disciples in their greatest time of need.
And then probably my favorite, chapter 9. Remember the blind man? Oh, this was great. Right, the blind, Jesus heals this man born blind from birth. Never happened before. In all the scripture, never, man from birth, blind, Jesus heals him. And of course, the religious authorities are up in arms once again. Instead of celebrating and praising God, they're angry. Tell us again what happened. Jalous, what happened here? You know, they're just... And, 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 and they keep asking him, and finally the kid's just, he's, he's had it. They, they ran his parents through the mill. They said, we're not touching this. Talk to the boy. He's a man. So they ask him, and he finally says, listen, all I know is I was blind, met Jesus, and now I see. And then he pops off. Why, do you guys want to be his disciple too? Oh, and then they lost their minds again, remember? And they're like, oh, you were steeped in sin from birth. And they just went nuts. But Jesus came to give sight to the blind. And not just that blind man, but everyone that would believe into him. And finally, again, Lazarus with a word. Lazarus, come forth, a dead man who, as the King James said, stinketh. Three days, man. That guy's dead. And he got up and he walked out of that grave, demonstrating that Jesus Christ has the authority even over death. Death, where's your sting? Now death is only a servant. All death can do for the believer is open the door into eternity. Thank you, death. I mean, it's amazing. That's, that's who the Son of God is. That's who Jesus is. And so all these signs point to the fact that Jesus is the King. He is the Son of God. So that's chapter 1 through 12. we got to hurry here. But um, the, the first chapters focus on his public ministry. Okay, he's out there. He's doing it. There's groundswell. People are believing. People are not. People are getting angry. People are getting saved. It's amazing. But in chapter 13 through 17, one of my favorite sections in all of Scripture, Jesus gets together with his disciples. He gets alone in what they call the upper room, and he has that discourse, right? And he talks to them about really important things. And man, it, this, is a, this is a major neglected portion of Scripture that I think we should be living in all the time. If you, if you want to know what, what Jesus would say to you in your life and your struggles, man, live in this text, 13 to 17. Listen to the heart of the Messiah. Messiah. He starts by washing the disciples' feet. Remember that. He shows us what true leadership looks like. The Father's sending me. I'm going to send you. And he, he demonstrates his humility, right? They, he shows that God, by his nature, is a, is a being of self-giving love, as, whereas, as well as this is a symbol as for, about what he's going to do as he goes to the cross on our behalf. And this is the heart of discipleship. All disciples must follow Jesus in this self-giving love. And it's that sacrificial love that's going to show the world who Jesus truly is. And then we learned about the necessity of abiding in Christ. Remember, I am the vine, you are the branches. You can't do anything apart from me. You got to stay connected. Do so and I will supply what you need and you will produce the fruit of righteousness. And, and the only way you're going to be able to do this is I'm going to send my spirit and he's going to come and fill you and sustain you and give you life. And then he reminds them, listen, you're going to face trouble. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be worth it. So go. Such a valuable section of Scripture for us. When you get, get to chapter 18, the suffering really starts. In 19, Jesus lays his life down. Nobody takes it from him. Remember what he said. I lay my life down. 
He is truly the Lamb of God. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then in chapter 20 or 21, we see the epilogue of restoration. So, th- so there it is. I mean, that's, that's the gospel of John. John's, he's written these things that you may believe that Jesus is, is the, the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing you may have life in his name. The first half of the book gives you all the info you need. He's like, it's all right here. This is who he is. This is what he did. He's the word of God. Everything he said, everything he did was the word, was God's final word to us. And then it takes us to the burial and resurrection that makes it all possible. The gospel is the proclamation that Jesus Christ came from the Father into this world. He lived a sinless life. He died for the sins of the world and was raised to glory. That's the gospel. That's what John is calling us to believe. He did it for you and he did it for me. And John tells us that we're blind in this world. We're we're walking around in darkness apart from Jesus Christ, but he came to bring us light and life. He is the life. He is the living water. He, He is the light of the world. And there are many that don't like to hear that, right? There are even churches today that... They, they skip over the darkness and sin part and kind of go to the gospel. But listen, if you don't know anything about the sin, the darkness, there's no, what's the point of the gospel? Right? You have to have a, have a correct analysis of who you are because, and listen, you might want to write this down. I gave you a lot of room to write. Um, a superficial diagnosis leads to a false remedy and no cure. So if you get a superficial, I mean... You know, I say, Doc, I got this on my scale. It's just a mole. Well, it's malignant cancer, man. He's like, nah, I don't want you to feel bad about that. It's just a mole. Right? A superficial diagnosis leads to false remedies and no cure. And so John says, no, you need, you need an accurate diagnosis of where you are. You're living in darkness. You're blind. You can't see. But Jesus has come to give you sight if you will only believe. He did for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And some people try and overcome the darkness by being a good person or, or by attending a bunch of church services or even by being baptized, you know, um, maybe dedicating their life multiple times. But listen, you can go to every church, get baptized 20 times, dedicate yourself every weekend and still be without Christ. That's possible. John is calling us to come to terms with what it means to believe in Jesus Christ. Look what he says in... in Uh, later in his epistle. God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son does not have life. That gets to the core of the gospel because the gospel has nothing to do with the church at all. Now listen, the church is very helpful in discipleship and community and it's it's important. But when it comes to passing from death to life, right from, from hell to heaven via the cross, it has nothing to do with anything but the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why you don't have to belong to a certain church. You can live out in the bush and hear the gospel and you get saved. And you're blind and now you see. And sometimes we have a tendency to start looking at other people when we hear this. Oh, he could really hear this. Remember John made that mistake last week. He's with Jesus and, and or Peter. He's with Jesus and he looks back and he says, hey, what about this guy? Right? And Jesus says, hey, don't worry about him. You believe. You follow me. And so believing is very personal for every one of us. The gospel always demands a response. And some of you maybe have been struggling with this. Maybe you've, maybe you've heard this many times before. Maybe you're young. 
Maybe, maybe you have it. Maybe this is kind of new for you. But listen, for every true believer, there is a when story. Now, some people have come to me and said, yeah, I've always kind of believed, you know, um, I always kind of believed. And, and, and that might be true, and I don't want to minimize your story. Maybe you always believe that there's a God, that, that, that there's a creator, but nobody's always believed in the gospel. Okay, the gospel is very explicit in what it says. For, um, <clears throat> you can always believe in spiritual things. You can always believe that God created the heavens and the earth, and that's great. But that, that's not the gospel. For those that are saved, there's always a when story. When I believed in Ephesians, when they believed, they were sealed with the Holy Spirit and guaranteed the, the, the inheritance. Right? When they believed. When did you say, man, I get it. And God started drawing you to himself. And, and it may, maybe it's just a little mustard seed of belief, but, but you started. There was a start there. When you, maybe God's bringing that to some of your minds right now. But maybe some of you have never actually had that when moment. Worship team's going to come up. And, but I just want you to think about this. Many have heard the gospel. You're hearing it again today. But only those who are included in the promises of God and accepted into the family of God are those who have the believed part. When they believed. Maybe you feel God calling you today. Maybe today is your when story. And John would say, put your faith in the Son of God. I wrote this book so that you would see him. And that by seeing him, you would believe that he truly is the son of God, the Messiah. And by believing, you may have life in his name. Father, I, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for your word. I thank you that you have called us into light. Lord, I pray that your word even now would sit heavy on us. I mean, in chapter 8, you said that unless you confess that I am he, you will die in your sins. That's an accurate diagnosis. So Lord, give us ears to hear and eyes to see again today in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, for those who are being baptized today, you can go get ready. Listen, maybe, maybe you have believed and... Um, Maybe you've never been baptized. Well, you can actually be baptized today. We've got water. We got clothes. We've got everything. We got towels back there, right? We've got everything you need. If baptism doesn't save you, it's just the next step. You believe, then you're baptized into the family of God, right? Showing that, that you have died with him, were buried and raised. Whatever happened to Jesus happened to you, and that's what baptism is. It's a, it's a profession. It's a proclamation. Mason is going to be proclaiming the gospel as he's baptized today. If you want to get baptized, man, go over here and talk to Daryl. He would love to talk to you. Again, we could do it. As we wrap up, like I was saying, it's emotional for me. Um, I watched Jesus save my wife like in 93, I think it was, maybe 94. I got saved in 94, maybe it was 92, whatever. But someone encouraged me to read the gospel to John. 
And I've been watching the Spirit of God change her and work, and he was drawing me, and there was a, there was a struggle because I'd, you know, ah, I'd heard of these things. I wasn't interested, and I started reading the book of John, and, and my when was in a bathroom, and I'm not going to go into detail. Some of you know that story, but my when was drinking coffee, smoking a Winston in the bathroom, reading the book of John, and coming to John 14, 6, and reading that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and it was like he was right there speaking to me. And I just said, you know, I, 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 I believe, but, but help me because I, I just don't. And it started right there and I've never turned back. I still struggle with sin. I still struggle with relational issues. I still struggle with things, but here's what I don't struggle with. Peace with God. Okay. A passion for the, for the word of God, the people of God. I mean, he's changed all that and he's filled me with his spirit. And I'm telling you. I, I, I'm here. The Spirit is testifying. These guys are testifying. Mason's testifying, and I'm testifying. God is the truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And there is no life apart from him. Receive him. Receive him today. Father, yes, Lord. Thank you for coming and, and showing us the way. Thank you for not giving up on us, but redeeming and restoring us. And may we go out today as ambassadors, um, reconciling the world to you through your gospel. Give us boldness to proclaim it and live it out in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys. Have a great week. Have a great Thanksgiving. We'll see you guys next weekend. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.